We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. I have such the grand fortune of coming to you every two weeks. This is the Run ATL Podcast. I bring company, the same company you've come to love, know, and expect, D2. Dolomite Dave Martinez. Hello to you, sir. Hello, and hello to all of our listeners. Indeed, and this is kind of a fun season for us as we have come to understand that more and more people getting into this pedestrian active lifestyle because of some of the strange circumstances we find ourselves in here during summer 2020. And yet then we also have those who, as we transition towards fall, are wondering, are they going to have races to do? Are they going to be able to put benchmarks on their calendar? I have to admit, there are more and more people who are telling me it's probably unlikely. Some of that optimism may be leaking out a bit. So we will see whether fall races happen. But welcome to all you veterans. And my goodness, on behalf of all veterans, and certainly from D2&I, welcome to all of you who have joined or rejoined this lifestyle. It is good to have you along. Yeah, and that being said, you know, we have a kind of a little of, of a fun campaign we've got going on through social media, Facebook and Instagram, especially through Instagram stories and Facebook stories, where we're asking individuals, and we're doing this every two weeks, we're asking, well, what kind of runner are you? Because we are all different kind of runners. I am currently an injured runner, but <laughs> when I'm not injured, I am a, I run 5Ks, I'm a 5K runner, a 10K, a half marathon, a marathon, an ultra runner, a trail runner, a road runner, you know, uh, I run for a variety of reasons, to keep me sane, to keep me healthy. And, and that's, you know, that's just a little bit of what describes me as an individual, because I think we are all different types of runners and we all run for different reasons. So through social media, we're looking at ways of just allowing you to express what kind of runner you are. So when you see uh, on our social media pages, you know, uh, you know, I am a blank runner. We're wanting you to share kind of what kind of what makes you what emotion what feeling and maybe we pick a subject that helps guide you to to share kind of what the type of runner you think you are or picture yourself as so we encourage you to participate to engage with us through social media we'll be sharing those stories as well through our social media pages so please come out and enjoy uh and and, and join us in celebration because we feel that regardless of the type of runner you are all runners are welcome at Big Peach Running Company. Oh, I love that tag. All runners welcome. How true that is in so many different ways. Thanks for that overview. One of the things that has wonderful application today, our featured conversation, as you know, Alyssa Palladino. She is a registered dietitian. She is also a certified personal trainer. She comes to us with all kinds of good information. She's been in Atlanta now for over six years. Serious credentials here, D2, Yale University, master's at NYU, obviously not just on the academic side, also has practiced at Emory University, has a private practice, worked with many personal clients, as well as some of the biggest employers and groups in and around the Atlanta area. This is someone we're going to learn much from for sure. You'll find out very quickly her focus 
sports nutrition, weight management, certainly some disease and other considerations that deserve prevention. But what I love most, avid runner, veggie lover, and someone who wants all of us to kind of get the most out of every single day. Yeah, I mean, this is a conversation that I think, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners will, you know, get a lot out of because I think, you know, for a variety of reasons, whether it's performance nutrition that you're looking for as to how to get, you know, be a better, stronger runner through nutrition or looking at weight loss and the way we kind of uh, see food sometimes in a negative way mm. and kind of the, you know, the way that we maybe even, uh, you know, are a little hard on ourselves for what we choose to eat might be a little bit enlightening to our listeners. For sure. Whether you are joining us for the first time because someone just tunes you into the Run ATL podcast as a new entrant, as a walker, runner, or fitness enthusiast, or whether you have been doing this a long time trying to get that nutrition dial, there is going to be something in this for you. We'll bring it to you entirely unedited. It will be right after this brief message. Do your feet hurt? Feel any discomfort in your joints or lower back when you run? Your shoes might be the root of the problem. Whatever your fitness level, your feet should be comfortable and your shoes shouldn't be the cause of an injury or keep you from achieving your fitness goals. Come into any of our seven Big Peach Running Company locations for a free three-step fit process, including a video gait analysis. Our professional fitters will help get you into shoes that fit so you can enjoy running, walking, or any activity that requires you to be on your feet. Our 100% satisfaction guarantee will give you peace of mind if your new shoes don't live up to your expectations. Simply return them. No problems, no hassles, no time limit. We want to make sure you're completely happy with your shoes so you can achieve your fitness goals. Visit Big Peach Running Company today. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast D2. Like we talked about in our intro, she is here, but not in person. Once again, we have a very special guest joining us via Skype, Alyssa Palladino in the house virtually. Good morning to you, Alyssa. Good morning. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Well, this is awesome. And part of it, because you are here locally, oftentimes we talk to guests who are not in Atlanta, but I have to also mm-hmm. couch that by saying it's not as awesome as if we were not in the midst of a strange summer and having you here in studio would be even better. So you'll have to have a good enough time doing this with <laughs> us now that at some point, perhaps next year, you'll come in studio and do this again for us. Absolutely. Yeah, I am based in Atlanta, but currently in my kitchen um but yeah I, I like i said i've been a huge fan of big peach for all seven years that i've been in atlanta and of course would love the opportunity to to do this in person at some point well let's talk about that and and obviously you already mentioned that you've been in atlanta seven years and we gave a little bit of a background on you in our intro but you know you came to atlanta i believe at least in part because of your inter- internship over at emory Healthcare. That also seemed to be a bit of an onset for you where you had the option to start serving others or do something that might be more conventional. You had always seemingly been interested in education, but now Mm -hmm. you have the ability to serve others in a field that you're not only an expert, but that you personally, and it just, every time I talk to you, this interest of yours is exuding itself to the point where I can't help but to get excited about it myself. Nutrition, wellness, taking care of ourselves, making good choices relative not just to our diet, but also to our fitness or the activities and behaviors that we choose. 
where did these interests originate for you personally? So it's interesting. I think I've always been interested in health and wellness and nutrition. Um, but I didn't study any of those fields, um, undergrad and coming out of college, I was teaching for a couple of years and I kind of thought I was going into the field of education. But when I started thinking about my career, um, I realized that I really, I loved teaching and I loved helping others, but I really wanted to be able to combine my professional life with my personal interests and just have a career that felt really authentic. Um, and so I realized that by being a dietitian and going into the field of nutrition, I could kind of, kind of combine those two aspects. And that's when I decided to do my master's degree in nutrition at New York University, where I was living at the time. And then, yeah, what brought me down to Atlanta was I matched with Emory for my dietetic internship. And um, I had supervised hours in a whole bunch of different um, areas of, of nutrition during that, that year, um, including in wellness and in corporate wellness. And um, it led to a lot of relationships and different job opportunities that, that kept me here um, in Atlanta. Um, and I've been basically working like freelance for the last year or so, sometimes with runners and athletes, other times with people who are looking to eat healthier, feel better, um, lose weight, better manage a health condition like diabetes or, or high blood pressure. But really, um, I'm just so passionate about the power of nutrition to improve health and performance. And I'm just so dedicated, really, professionally, but also personally, to empowering people with knowledge and tools and motivation to help them eat healthier, um, live healthier, and work towards their goals, um, and really in a way that's sustainable and evidence-based and tailored to their lifestyle and just practical for their lifestyle. So I get to do all those things um, and, and have it be my job. But so that's that's pretty cool. Well, it's really cool. And we're going to get to some of those things that you do and share it with our audience so that they can benefit not just from your expertise, but quite frankly, from that passion that you have in that intersection of your personal and professional interests. But I have to I have to ask, we mentioned in the intro a little bit of your background. Of course, we're going to pair not just your master's in science and nutrition with something else that's very cool. And in my opinion, makes you the complete package. But I'm going to take you further back. We mentioned in the intro that we did have a Yaley in our midst that D2 and I had to really kind of put on our best intellectual cap for this particular episode. But back at Yale, you were studying political science, and I have no real intimate knowledge, but I see a political science major leaving Connecticut and knuckle-dragging down to D.C. to work on policy or for a lobbyist or perhaps for somebody who is a sitting or perhaps long-standing politician. How is it that you ended up here? Is that not true? Is that all a figment of my imagination that a poli-sci major at Yale would end up in D.C.? Or is it like, no, 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 75% of people who were in my class and had the same major, that's where they are. Is that my wayward thinking or is there some accuracy there and you are truly exceptional in that? No, so you're, um, you're realizing that my pivot from poli-sci undergrad to being a dietitian is not like not a normal kind of path is a hundred percent spot on. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So a lot of my friends were poli-sci majors undergrad and most of them went on to law school. Um, some of them, yeah, do go into politics, 
But really when it comes to, when I think about my undergraduate career, again, I was very privileged to really not be able, not have to think about what I was studying as far as it leading to like a job. Um, I went into college really with this idea that this was four years for me to explore and learn um, about something that was interesting. And I think a lot of my peers at Yale kind of felt the same way. The idea that like eventually we'll figure out what we want to do for our jobs, but that, that wasn't, it wasn't like a professionally focused, it's a liberal arts school. So it's not like a, it's necessarily as much like thinking about something practical that you're going to do for a job. Well, and, okay. and, and a lot of people would say, okay, well, there's that term Ivy League. Blah, blah. I actually, and when I said complete package, I would pair it with your certification in 2017 from the American College of Sports Medicine, where you now are officially certified as a personal trainer. And yeah. for us and for our audience, again, with all due respect to anyone who has an undergraduate degree, and that's awesome. And to your point, there's a great way through those four years or six years or for many more people, it seems like six plus anymore to explore and to learn and kind of figure things out for you by the time you paired those disciplines together and those disciplines, again, nutrition and dietetics, and also the ability to complement nutrition with exercise and being a certified personal trainer, you had the ability to speak to both the nutrition and the fitness. What is it that you would say now is going to give us the best understanding of what we can be doing in this really strange year, 2020, unlike anything else. But when we think about your background, are there little tidbits just to get us started with that background of fitness and nutrition that you're like, man, am I glad that I know these things because they have never been more important? Yeah. So I, I mean, I really believe that how we move our bodies and how we feed our bodies, like, so really physical activity and nutrition are, are just really, really powerful tools that are within our power to help us live our, our best lives. And like lifestyle can play such a big role in promoting health and reducing disease risk and just overall improving quality of life. There's a lot of other factors too, like sleep and like stress management and like community, but nutrition and physical activity are really two of the most powerful ones. And I do really think they go hand in hand. And what I realized with, well, there's kind of two, two motivations get going in and getting the certification through the American College of Sports Medicine as a trainer, even though I didn't intend to train right away. But I realized that with a lot of my nutrition clients, when I was doing counseling, I wanted to be able to address exercise with them, not not to train them necessarily, but to be able to speak on exercise in a way that was informed and within my scope. Um, Because a lot of times you'll see or you'll hear trainers giving advice to their clients about nutrition when that's truly, except for the basics, pretty much outside their scope. So I didn't want to Mm. fall into And I realized that for most of my clients, no matter what health goal they were working towards, addressing the nutrition and the physical activity pieces were were really important. So again, I wanted to be able to do that and do that in an informed way. And then the second part was just that I really, really enjoy living an active lifestyle um, and being physically active. I, in addition, running is definitely my heart and soul, but I've done strength training for honestly since high school. It's just something else that I really enjoy doing and I know is really important for health and metabolism as we age and also complementing and reducing 
injuries when you are dedicated to an endurance sport. So yeah, it was interesting to me to actually learn more of the science behind um, physical activity. Well, let's dive into that because that's what positions you so perfectly to to kind of touch on things that are going to be important always, not just during strange seasons like we're in now, but really always for our audience, for me personally, for D2 and I, when we are having conversations. So we're not that uninformed duo that is suggesting something that doesn't have some expertise behind it, or quite frankly, the credibility behind it that you certainly bring. For someone right now who has just started, you mentioned, and I love in your bio, you do not shy away from the fact that you are an avid runner. Many of our listeners are, but there are also many of our listeners perhaps who are using this as their first episode of getting familiar with the Run ATL podcast that would not describe themselves as an avid runner, but would say as someone who maybe even came very slowly maybe even somewhat involuntarily to the pedestrian active lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But now here they are and they're rightfully proud of the progress they've made and they've been able to stick with it for a few weeks or maybe even a couple of months. If we think about their nutrition and making sure that it complements or at least doesn't work against Mm -hmm. the progress they're making as a pedestrian active enthusiast, what are some of the foundational elements that you would call their attention to or tips that you might give them so that they don't get in their own way of the progress they're making. Okay, awesome. Well, first of all, I want to say that even though I love to run, it's never anything I push on anyone else. I really believe that the best form of exercise is the one that you enjoy because that's what you're going to do consistently. Um, And the consistency when it comes to physical activity is where you start to really see the benefits both mentally and physically and how it becomes a habit and not a chore. So yeah, if running isn't your thing, if walking is your thing, if yoga is your thing, if cycling is your thing, if Zumba, swimming, whatever it is, you know, that's, that's the most important thing is, is to find what you enjoy and be active. Um, and when, wherever you start is great. Like I actually didn't really get into running until I graduated from college and I was just looking for something to do for 30 minutes a few times a week to like, you know, keep my heart healthy and, you know burn off some stress and I started with walk run intervals and then once I could run for 30 minutes it was 45 minutes then it was an hour and then it was my first half marathon and you know becomes a slippery slope um but yeah almost all of us were beginners at whatever form of activity we are into at some point so keep going if you're new if you're new to an active lifestyle definitely keep going um and just some fundamental nutrition concepts I mean the biggest thing that I and a lot of dietitians will say this um, the advice that most dietitians give is not necessarily what people want to hear. Um, it's, it's not super sexy. It's not gimmicky. It's not a quick fix. It's not a silver bullet. Um, when you hear things that sound too good to be true with regards to nutrition, they typically are too good to be true. So really like healthy eating, um, it's about balance and it's about, about moderation. It's not about cutting out entire food groups. It's not about being like following rules. Um, you know, neither of those approaches is really sustainable. And so, yeah, I'd say thinking about understanding the components of balanced meals and balanced snacks, which I'm happy to kind of get into more. And then also understanding that all foods can and should be enjoyed as part of a healthy, sustainable diet in moderation. Nothing needs to be completely cut out. Um, and in fact, trying to do so is, is really not 
a health is really not a healthy or sustainable approach. So um, kind of like with exercise, what we do consistently has much more of an impact than what we do once in a while. So if we're focused on making the majority of our food choices really nutritious and nourishing for our bodies, um, and then still including smaller amounts of those foods that we're eating for pleasure, I think that's a, that's kind of a philosophy and a principle that can can sustain us long term. Um, yeah. So, so let me let me pull out that word that you used balanced and let's get uh-huh. a definition or maybe even if it's just your definition of that. So someone has started, let's just call it a movement routine. Okay. And yeah. this is yeah. either new to them or a return after an extended period of time for them. What is a balanced pursuit or perhaps perspective on nutrition for that individual? And is it any different than for the rest of us or anyone for that matter? So I kind of use balance to refer to two different things. So I'll use balance to refer to this balance between foods that are nourishing for our bodies and like the idea that food is fuel with the idea that food is also not just fuel because it also is a source of pleasure. It's also um, a way to have like social engagement it's it's like there's it's religious it's cultural it's it's memories so you know that balance as you approach eating that yes food can nourish us and it can really powerfully impact our health and our performance but let's not let's not neglect let's make sure to acknowledge that it's also a source of pleasure and kind of find that balance um between yes food that's are really nourishing us and foods that's primarily pleasurable. So that's one way that I think about balance and really encourage others and my clients to think about balance. And the other way that I use that term, it's a little bit more scientific and that's more of a nutritional balance um, and understanding. So basically the, the sources of energy um, or calories that we get through foods and beverages, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, the macronutrients, um, opt, an optimal diet includes a balance of all three of those macronutrients because each of them play different roles in in our body and how we feel and how we perform. Um, and so ideally for best health and for stable energy levels, um, it's, it's optimal to include all three macronutrients each time you have a meal or a snack. You're going to experience much um, steadier blood sugar levels and make sure you're getting really just the balance that you need to thrive. So your carbohydrates, and again, there's there's nuances because not all food sources of carbohydrates are created equal as far as how they impact our health. Same thing for fats and proteins. But in general, the carbohydrates are giving us that immediate energy. They're the fuel source for our muscles when we're exercising and for our brains, we're trying to think. Um, the protein is the building blocks for all our muscles and our tissues. So that's important for structural reasons and also for exercise recovery. Um, and protein also um, keeps us fuller longer and helps with that satiety and that hunger management. And um, because it supports lean muscle, it also helps maintain our metabolism as we get older. And then the, the fat, um, the, so the third macronutrient, that of course makes food taste good. Um, and it also helps with satiety and it helps with the absorption of fat soluble nutrients. So each one plays, plays a role. And so when I talk about nutritional balance, I'm really talking about 
finding the balance between all three macronutrients and trying to incorporate a food source of each of them in your meals and your snacks. And that would be true for a novice uh, exerciser and, and, and definitely true for, um, for an avid exerciser as well, although the amounts might look a little bit different and the balance might look a little bit different. But nonetheless, that macronutrient consideration is the same. And for one of the things that will tune people into for sure is the distance on lunch and learn with Alyssa Palladino. That's a project she's co-authoring with the Atlanta track club, something that's been really cool for me to see. And for those of you who do not want to wait for our show notes to check that out, certainly you can find it through the Atlanta track club at atlantatrackclub.org or just put in your browser the distant lunch and learn with Alyssa Palladino and you'll get a chance to see not only Alyssa and her kitchen doing her thing as a food <laughs> lover, but also some cool recipes that come together seemingly perfectly every time because it doesn't look like there are multiple takes, but who knows, you might have to take us behind the scenes at some point of the distance, Alyssa, but are there whether food groups, whether there are specific foods themselves, are there things that you're just very much in love with right now that you would say, gosh, tactically speaking, here are some things that if you already tend to gravitate towards those items, keep doing it. Or man, these are things that I've really come to believe in based on what you've personally experienced or on the expertise that you have. Oh, this is such a good question. I'm so excited about to delve into this one. And I just want to say with the distance, so that's like on the Atlanta Tri Club's YouTube channel. And it is live. So everything you see, it's 30 minutes of me just kind of like ad-libbing. Um, and I do it every Friday live at noon. But all the videos live on the Atlanta Track, Club, Atlanta Track Club's YouTube channel. And I will say, I do share recipes, but I always say I'm a dietitian, not a chef. So when I, <laughs> when I share a recipe, one, I can't stop myself from educating on the nutrition the nutritional value of the ingredients and why I put it together versus like the necessarily like the details that a chef might um, expound on. And it's really important to me that I incorporate really like easy, common ingredients that are budget friendly and, you know, offer alternatives for people that are following different diets or have different dietary restrictions or preferences. So like a lot of times I'll do customizable recipes. I'll refrain from offer, like I'll refrain from really set amounts and being really prescriptive with it because, um, everybody is so different. So like if I'm talking about a smoothie, I'll talk about the importance of having a carbohydrate source in there, a protein source, a vegetable, a fluid, but I won't be super prescriptive about what those have to be and how much of each to use. Um, but so that's just kind of an example. And it leads me to actually trying to address this question um, as far as just like foods and things that I am really into or that I regularly share with clients. Um, I really believe that nutrition, it doesn't have to be as complicated as I think some people think it is. Um, and I, my experience in this field for many years now is that a lot of people seem to focus on the minutia and lose sight of the bigger picture. So really like hyper-focusing on getting in different quote-unquote superfoods, adding different supplements, being really concerned about whether their foods are organic or non-GMO or vegan or gluten-free or how many ingredients are on that on the list um, and kind of 
losing sight of getting really obsessed with those details and losing sight of the bigger picture. So definitely that would be my, one of the biggest messages I'd want to share is that a lot of common foods that you may already be eating are great. And, and also it can be simpler than you think. So one of my first recommendations for almost anyone, if you're looking to eat in a way that makes you feel better mentally and physically and supports long-term health is to try to add more vegetables to your intake. So trying to include a vegetable at lunch and at dinner, even at breakfast, trying to incorporate vegetables or fruit, really any kind of produce um, into your snacks, into your meals um, throughout the day. That one change is going to be so impactful because Fruits and vegetables are naturally filled with um, antioxidants, which are working on a cellular level to fight oxidative damage um, and are really important to to reduce risk for a number of diseases and just really optimize our health, including exercise recovery. Fruits and vegetables are also packed with vitamins and minerals. They are high in fiber, um, and dietary fiber is so, so essential for everything from like heart health to weight management to cancer prevention to regularity um cannot say enough goods about good things about fiber but ideally you're getting it from fruits and vegetables and other whole foods and not from a supplement um and then fruits and vegetables also have a high water content so they they help with your hydration so if if there's any one single change i would say almost everyone could benefit from it would be trying to incorporate more vegetables and more fruit into their diet before we start talking about what to take away you know focusing on what to add um and so that's that's one major thing i also just think that there's a lot of staple items that um are really simple like and really when i was thinking about quarantine you know earlier on a few months ago people were all stressed out about what they could stock their kitchen with and how could they keep eating healthy when they were maybe not going to the grocery store as much um, and it isn't as hard as we think because some staple items like oats, like canned beans, like dry, like dried fruits and vegetables, even, um, or canned fruits and vegetables or frozen fruits and vegetables, whole grains that are, are dry, dry goods, whole wheat pasta, brown rice, quinoa, um, things like eggs, things like Greek yogurt, um, a lot of just like basic foods are packed with nutrients and yeah, we don't have to get so fancy about it. So I'm going to, this is going to be maybe more of a, a personal journey for me to take with the real expert on the other line now for some questions that I'm hoping our listeners also will benefit from. For those of you who are listeners like, I don't care about that. I apologize right now, but let's camp out on this fruits and veggies thing a little bit because there's okay. so much noise, not just about fruits and veggies, because I think everybody would agree we should have more of them. There's no way we're going to end up saying we had too many fruits and veggies this year. But mm-hmm. let's talk about certain things that we, t- at least personally for me, I get tripped up on. So first of all, and you mentioned canned, you mentioned frozen, you mentioned dried compared mm-hmm. to right out of the ground or off the stock or whatever might be fresh versus frozen or store bought or some other means that has been intended to extend the life or make it easier for Mm -hmm. purchase or perhaps acquisition. 
what is the difference? And maybe it varies by item, but let's just yeah. use whatever item you want. Let's use peaches because we're here in the state of Georgia. I can buy canned yeah. peaches. I can buy dried peaches. And yes, now I can go to my farmer's market and get fresh peaches. Any mm -hmm. difference between the three nutritionally? Yeah. So that's a really, really great question. I love addressing it. Um, I actually, the last article I wrote for Wingfoot, Atlanta Trout Clubs Magazine, does a deep, deep dive into the pros and cons of each form of produce because there really are pros and cons of each. Um, so fresh is going to be, especially if you're getting it locally grown and in season, probably when we're talking about like taste and nutrient density to a certain extent, um, that's going to be your best bet. I mean, certainly taste and texture. Um, when something is grown, you know, in season, you're eating it, it hasn't traveled a lot of time or distance from when it's picked to when you're eating it. There's no, there's less time for nutrient erosion and it's going to have the best flavor. I mean, anyone who's had like a, a fresh peach or tomato or corn freshly picked can, can speak to the taste, um, you know, in that regards. And when you're getting some fresh like out of season, so you go to the grocery store in the middle of winter and you're finding, you know, cherries or whatever, strawberries, we know they haven't been grown or picked locally. So they've been grown and picked far away and before they're ripe. So they're, then they're, while they're traveling, they're, you know, undergoing methods to ripen in, 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 in transit. So there is some nutrient loss. You definitely don't get the same taste. Um, and and you're contributing a little bit to like a more of a negative environment environmental impact than when you're eating locally grown just because there's there's the whole travel. Um, so fresh, I'd say when we when we can do fresh and when we can do local and in season fresh deal. But, you know, it's not always practical. I mean, I have so many busy clients and just speak to people a lot who don't get to their fresh produce in time. I don't know if that, any of the listeners that resonates with, but you go to the farmer's market or the grocery store at the beginning of the week and you're, there's all this great stuff and you buy it, but you don't really have a plan of how to use it. And then you realize that life got busy and maybe you went out to eat or whatever. And, you know, the produce is sitting in your fridge and it's gone bad before you can get to it. And so the shorter lifespan on fresh produce, especially the locally grown fresh produce, is is a negative. You know, it's a con for people who, you know, don't want to contribute to food waste. So one of the benefits then of your frozen or your canned is that it is a, a longer lifespan. So you can have those things stocked and you don't have to worry about using them in a certain time frame. And you kind of have them as a backup for Again, when life gets busy, you're trying to pull together a meal and you're like, oh, yeah, I need a vegetable in this meal. I don't have anything. Well, I have some that are canned and I have some that are in my freezer. So that convenience factor is really important. Um, from a nutrition standpoint and a texture standpoint, my frozen or canned. So frozen fruits and vegetables are flash frozen immediately after they're picked. And so they actually retain as nutrition, if not more, than your fresh version. And you have that added benefit of the convenience that they're always there as a backup. So I would really recommend, and this is something that I totally practice what I preach, I would recommend having frozen fruits and vegetables, several different types in your freezer at all times. Um, 
just, you know, as, as your backup for when you don't have fresh, that you make sure you're getting enough. And then look for the versions that don't have any added sugar, added sodium, and they're just the vegetable with the fruit, and you're good to go. And then um, with canned, you're definitely going to get the longest lifespan. You're not going to have to worry about if your power goes out, then spoiling. Um, typically, there'll be a lot more sodium in canned vegetables or sugar in canned fruit. So you look for the no sodium, no sodium or low sodium. You can look for no sugar added or canned in its own juice. You can rinse your canned vegetables before using to get rid of some of the sodium and the preservatives. But um, it's, it's still produce. You know, you're still getting vitamins and minerals. You're still fiber. I think the quality of the taste and the texture is probably poorest, which is why it's not my preference. Um, with the exception of beans, I think for beans and lentils and legumes and things like that, like your chickpeas, your black beans, your kidney beans, canned is really um, and then finally, we've got our dried fruit. And now there's even like dehydrated fruit and dehydrated vegetables. The main caveat or like kind of negative with the dried is that you're taking out all the water. So you're getting a much more concentrated source of sugar and a lot less volume. And so it can be easier to overeat and take in more sugar than, than we're, and more calories than we're intending to with a few handfuls of raisins like you would not necessarily eat the equivalent in grapes. Um, but the positive of that for runners is that dried fruit makes excellent pre-workout, pre-run when we want them, but we need the calories and the sugar. So having a handful of dried apricots or raisins or dried cranberries or dates actually before a long run or mid-run is a great way to get in that sugar that you need for endurance without a lot of volume. So yeah, there's honestly, there's pros and cons of each. Wow. That is super helpful. So fresh and frozen. I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was awesome. So fresh and frozen, obviously maybe best overall in terms of some of the things we think about, but you would not push back against any of it. And then you gave us that really helpful advice, how to use dried to our advantage for those of us who, whether we are novice or perhaps more veteran in our exercise pursuits, that is a very healthful and usable tip from Alyssa that you will want to share with others because it is very practical, especially right now when we want to get as much as we can from those grocery store purchases, as well as from our own regular routine. All right, Alyssa, you mentioned sodium, but instead of saying, let's camp out on sodium and give us the skinny on how good or perhaps how poor that might be, let's use that as a bit of a bridge to some of the things that I know are focus areas for you, including what in this great nation is very disturbing. And that let's start with cardiovascular disease, but also things like high blood pressure, cholesterol concerns. Obviously, we have the obesity epidemic. I know the word of 2020 is pandemic, but epidemic <laughs> oftentimes is paired with obesity. And certainly, we hear sodium as a contributor to some of those items very regularly. We hear things that are even part of what you've already talked about in terms of macronutrients that might be contributing in less healthy, uh, helpful ways. Help us maybe, let's assume that we all know someone who is mm -hmm. perhaps diabetic, 
has high blood pressure, is at risk for cardiovascular disease, recognizes that at least by whatever published standards is maybe overweight or obese, or maybe that really is us. And we're mm-hmm. willing in this private moment to admit that. Whether it's sodium or anything else, what are some good steps that we might take nutritionally to start putting us on a more healthful journey? Great question. Yeah. And I, it's interesting because the sodium is a good example of a nutrient, a micronutrient. It's a, an electrolyte that for runners, we're often talking about we need to make sure we're getting enough, right? Because we're losing it in sweat. And we need to replenish it so we don't get dehydrated. But for most Americans, one of the issues is that we take in too much sodium through our foods. Um, and really having too much sodium in, a, in our diet is one of many factors that is linked to increased risk for high blood pressure um, or hypertension. And high blood pressure is, is certainly then a risk factor for heart disease. And it is very widespread and it is definitely an issue. Um, you know, we recommend keeping daily sodium intake to less than 2,300 milligrams for the, for the general health to, to reduce risk of high blood pressure. Sometimes the recommendations for people who already have it um, are, so, are even lower, but that's pretty hard to do with the standard American diet. So I was um, going to say, help me understand what 2,300 yeah, is. No, like, I mean, if by the time I'm through breakfast, have I already achieved that in most likelihood? Yeah. So it's about a teaspoon of salt. Um, but mostly it's not the sodium that we're taking in is not actually through the salt shaker. It's through processed foods um, and even foods that we don't necessarily think of as processed foods because the sodium is a preservative. So like in canned soups, in canned foods, in any kind of like cured meat or deli meat, even something as really nutritious and valuable as, as like deli turkey um, is really hot. can be really high in sodium. It's found in a lot of like chips and cookies and crackers and breads again, because it's, because it's a preservative. Um, when we're eating out, we're getting a lot of sodium because it adds a lot of flavor to food. So it's going to be used in, in, you know, restaurant menu items. So most Americans are definitely taking in more than that recommended amount of sodium, which Again, it's just one of many risk factors for having high blood pressure because when you eat more sodium, your body holds on to more fluid that increases your blood volume and it puts more stress on your blood vessels, which ultimately puts more stress on your heart. So, you know, the, the, but going hand in hand, and this is kind of going back to your question of what would be some like dietary advice for people who are looking to better manage those conditions or reduce their risk, going hand in hand with reducing sodium is is increasing potassium and um the best way to do that is going to be with your fruits and vegetables so again one of many reasons why that's kind of like my first line of nutrition guidance is to try to eat more fruits and vegetables um you're naturally going to the more you're focusing on eating more of those foods you're going to naturally crowd out some of the less nutritious higher sodium foods um, just to make space on your plate and in your belly. So I, I would really encourage people who are trying to, to better manage or prevent high blood pressure to, yeah, focus on limiting some of those food sources of sodium or keeping the portions smaller, but at the same time, increasing their fruits and vegetables. Um, and you can start reading labels 
you can start thinking if you have that 2300 milligram um, guideline in your mind and you notice that your canned soup has 500 milligrams for one serving, you realize you're like a fifth of the way there in that cup of soup. So maybe that's not like the best choice. Um, and kind of starting to like eyeball a lot of times frozen meals, pre-made frozen meals will have, will also be very high in sodium. Cheese is another delicious, but, um, high sodium option. So really rather than cut those foods out completely, I would say just be mindful about how often you're eating them and the portion size you're eating them. You mentioned um, you mentioned potassium, and I think as runners, yeah. a lot of times we gravitate towards a banana because we've heard that yeah. it's good, it's easy on the digestive system, and yes, it has a lot of potassium. Are there other all-stars, or is that message about bananas flawed inherently, or would you say, no, 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 that's accurate, but what are some of the other all-stars? For those of us who want something that's super tactical, and we're on our way to the grocery store Later today, is there anything that you would say, maybe load up on this or at least give them due consideration because they are likely to bring that potassium into a place that is beneficial to us? Yeah, so you're definitely not incorrect about the bananas. Um, they are an excellent source of potassium and potassium is really important, not just for kind of helping with high blood pressure and counteracting sodium but for heart contraction and muscle contraction and it is one of the electrolytes we lose in sweat so runners definitely need to get enough of it but all of us need to get enough of it um and bananas are a great source so are potatoes um really most fruits and vegetables are avocados are great um i mentioned potatoes only because they have such a bad rep and people think of them as like a waste but they're actually really a great potassium source and just a good source of complex carbs too for, for runners. So um, I'm going to continue to be really tactical, hopefully not just for my own yeah. personal indulgence, but for the listeners as well. How do we prepare our potatoes best? I get that if I just head out and I'm like, oh man, D2, let's split this whole tube of Pringles. That's not exactly what you are suggesting. Or is it? Oh, I love that you're like getting into this. Um, yeah, so... I think part of the reason that potatoes have such a bad rep is there's two reasons. One is that compared to other vegetables, they are starchy. So they're nutritionally, when, you're when it comes to macronutrients, they're nutritionally a lot more similar to like bread or pasta or rice as far as their starch or their carbohydrate content than they are similar to like string beans or broccoli or cauliflower. Okay. So that's part of the reason they have a bad rep, but it shouldn't be because we need carbs and we, it's great to be getting them from a vegetable as opposed to a processed food. Um, but the second reason they have a bad rep is because typically the way we're eating them is in a form that, you know, they're, <laughs> makes them less healthy. So like the potato chips or the French fries, um, you're still getting potatoes, but you're also getting a lot of saturated fat because those foods are being fried and you're often getting a lot of sodium um, because that's how they're prepared. Right. So, my, my favorite way to prepare potatoes would be um, roasted or baked in the oven. And you, you can do that either whole or you can do that sliced. You can cut your potato into like fingers and make it almost like your own version of fries. You can cut them into slices, like really thin, nice little circles. Um, a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, and then any kind of herbs or spices that you want. And then roast it in the oven. That's probably my favorite way to prepare them. Um, and then you're going to get all the benefits of the potato plus some of the heart healthy fat that's in olive oil. And then, you know, you're controlling the amount of salt that you add when you're just cooking for yourself. 
So I, I have heard great things about preparing potatoes in the air fryer. I don't personally have one, so I can't speak to that. But I know people have great things to say about that. Well, and, and I could just, we could go on for hours and I'll not torpedo your entire day, so I won't do that because now I'm thinking, well, is it sweet or is it Idaho? Is it air fryer or is it in the oven and all that? And I don't know if we could really figure out a way to tie the Run ATL podcast and an entire episode on potato preparation together. We'll have to give that some thought, D2, in the think tank. But Alyssa, I know you also do nutritional counseling, both one-on-one as well as for, for groups. And so not only do you have this awesome body of work that you can kind of lean into and share with us, you also have tremendous amounts of real world experience. And so you probably know which questions it seems like you always hear or Mm -hmm. what comments or perhaps difficulties Mm -hmm. your clients have that are likely to overlap from going from one private client to another or from going from a private client to a group of individuals who you are consulting. So with that being the case, as as we kind of recognize that we can't take your entire day and that there are so many ways that each question that I ask could take us in a myriad of directions to follow up with, man, I need to go further here. I need to go further here. Let's go to what seems to just be those areas that are most common and yet they must be because they're either most mysterious Mm. or most what people need to know to not just get started, but stick with a routine. So what are those questions that you get asked all the time and that our listeners, if they were sitting in your office, would likely be asking you? And now as a benefit to us having you on this broadcast, as a gift that you would give to our listeners that you would just outright say without being prompted, but because you know it's such a popular question, what is the answer to that? Okay. I love that question. Um, I think a lot of times when people are seeking out working one-on-one with a registered dietitian, they are coming in with some, maybe a history of dieting or just misconceptions about nutrition or having followed different fad diets and feeling like they failed on them. Um, and are kind of almost like sick of they're, they're either they're sick of feeling like they failed or they're just kind of ready to give up the idea of a short-term diet and realizing that it's not sustainable. Mm. Um, other times people are coming in still kind of attached to some former diet that they felt worked for them um, and, and maybe require a little bit of of re-education about redefining what success on a diet really means. Um, If you can't sustain it and you're looking, always looking for the next diet, then it's not really successful. Um, But the problem is not with any given individual. It's almost always with the diet they were trying to follow being, uh, you know, not practical and not realistic and not really designed to be long-term. So I really think that's probably the biggest thing that I work on with clients is figuring out kind of going back to that balance of like getting away from that diet mentality and, and short term rules and really thinking about balanced meals and snacks and, and then ways that are practical for them. Cause a lot of people are super busy. And even though now life is a little bit weird and people are in like a transition phase and the future is kind of uncertain. We're as busy as ever. 
So kind of finding ways to prepare and consume balanced meals that, you know, don't break the bank and don't require hours in the kitchen. Um, so educating on the, the balanced meal is, is definitely one of the things that I work with a lot and think that anyone listening today would benefit from understanding because it kind of goes against some of the fad diets that are out there right now, like your keto, which is a very, very high fat diet. Um, moderate protein, very low carb. Um, so, I mean, we could go into, we could go into fad diets and specifically negative health, um, impacts of some of them, but to, to focus more on the positive, um, I think that balancing all those, all three macronutrients, right? So carbs, fat, and protein at each of your meals is a beneficial way to approach nutrition for nearly everyone. The exact balance and the, the exact proportions um, and portions are going to be different for everybody. But if we can think about, okay, it's time for a meal. It's breakfast, it's lunch, it's dinner. How can I, what kind of carbohydrate source can I get in here for, you know, to make sure I have enough energy to fuel my brain and, and my, and my muscles. So can I have oats at breakfast? Can I have a whole grain toaster waffle? Can I have a whole wheat English muffin? Okay. Now I need a protein source that's going to, you know, fuel my muscles and help me feel satisfied and, and work towards keeping my metabolism ripped. So what kind of protein source do I want to have with that? Do I want to throw, you know, an egg on my English muffin? Do I want to have some Greek yogurt on the side of my oatmeal? Do I want to throw a protein powder into my oatmeal? Um, then maybe I need a cheese stick on the side or, you know, some turkey bacon. But we, we need a carb, we need a protein, and then a healthy fat. So, you know, can I top my oatmeal with a little bit of peanut butter or some nuts? Can I, you know, add some avocado into my my eggs or on my, my English muffin breakfast sandwich? Um, can I top my whole wheat, whole grain um, waffle with some flax or some chia seeds? So making sure you're getting a food source of each of those macronutrients. And basically having that as a as sort of a template for your meals is going to make you so much more satisfied um, and, and also allow you to, to customize your meals and your snacks to your actual preferences um, rather than feeling like you have to follow like a strict recipe or a strict rule. This food's good. This food's bad. Um, but under understanding that basic template of balance and then customizing it to your food preferences and, and, you know, your needs. Um, that's, that's something that I, that I really do work really with clients to figure out how to make that practical for them. And, um, I think it's something that it's, it's almost like, it's almost like simple, right? Um, but it's, it's not really understood. And, um, Anyone who go, has not done that may kind of recognize what the downsides are. You know, if you are only eating, say, going back to the breakfast example, if you only eat carbs at breakfast, all you're getting is that quick energy. So you're not going to feel as full longer, and you might find, you know, you have that spike in blood sugar and that dip, and then like an hour later, you know, you're looking for something else to eat. So people notice right away if they go from just eating oatmeal to suddenly eating oatmeal with some eggs or oatmeal with some Greek yogurt that they're satisfied a lot longer. Um, and there's a science to that. Um, but similarly, if we just, if we avoid the carbs and we just do the protein, 
Um, you know, we actually, because we need carbs for our brains to function, we might find ourselves feeling sort of foggy or lethargic or just like in that kind of, yeah, that kind of like brain fog or being a little hangry or irritable. Um, if we try to work out, we probably find that we don't have the energy to do an endurance workout. We don't have the energy to go high intensity um, and go all out. So yeah, whether whether you're going all carbs or all protein, you're you're not getting the same benefits on on your on your health or your mood or your energy than if and your performance. And if you if you think about that balance. Well, there's that word balance again, and I love the fact that with that question you mentioned, the term custom or customized was the way that you said it, because what I think is such powerful guidance for us is, is it truly is individual. When you think about whether it's a fad diet or something that perhaps has some basis in science, mm -hmm. it is still being put on the shelf or being offered as a download that assumes we're all the same. It makes yeah. no distinction between my life and yours, between how D2 has to spend his Thursday versus how I might spend my Tuesday. But what you're saying is, no, 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 you need to take into account your budget. You need to take into account your schedule. You need to take into account your taste preferences because they're different. And a fad diet doesn't take all that and much more into account. If I'm living in hotels and airports, that's different than mm -hmm. someone who's working from home. If I have yeah. teenagers that I'm also putting food in the pantry for that's different than if I'm living by myself. If I have a schedule that suggests I'm working the late shift, as opposed to somebody who likes to get up early, that might impact it. So customization seems to be so critical. And Alyssa, and really for all of our listeners, I love the fact that you do that as not just guidance, but truly counseling where it is a two-way conversation. It's not just, here's the information, here's the roadmap, now go do it and follow this. For those of you who would be interested in learning more or perhaps getting such guidance, Alyssa's email address, she gave us permission to share. I know this has been helpful for many. Plus, I love the fact that there's another person with a vowel at the end of her name down here in the South. There weren't many of us when I got here. More seem to be coming every single year. It's A Paladino, that's P A L L A D I N O. R-D-N, yes, that is the credential. Those last three letters, A Paladino, R-D-N at gmail.com. She's also on Twitter. You should follow her for practical guidance. And quite frankly, what I've seen is just downright inspiration to keep us all mindful that nutrition plays a role in everyday life. And if we want to get the most out of everyday being mindful of our nutrition and our behaviors, it matters for sure. Alyssa, we're going to let you have the final word for those of us who have this understanding now that it does matter, not mm -hmm. thinking so much tactically, but thinking about something that might inspire or encourage us to make a change, whatever it might be, however subtle it might be, or if it has to be dramatic for some, what is that just inspiration you would leave us with that makes solid nutritional choices and this being a lifestyle all worth it? Man, a lot of pressure. I know we don't we don't go easy on our guests. Maybe that's why <laughs> none of them are willing to commit. Like we might ask you to to coming back because they know we ask tough questions. We're hardcore journalists around here. Well, I want to reiterate one of the things that you just kind of spoke on, which is that while nutrition is absolutely a science, um, and the recommendations that I give as a dietitian are always going to be based on, on research. 
putting it into practice is extremely individualized. There really isn't like a one size fits all approach and there's no silver bullet. There's no one superfood, right? It really, the impact of your food choices on your health and your quality of life and your performance and your energy and your mood is much more a result of your habits and your overall dietary pattern, what you do consistently than any single food or anything you do like once in a while. So always remembering to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and not hyper-focus or overly stress about the the details, I guess. Um, and really recognizing, again, kind of what you said, is that your nutrition needs are so different from based on your, your you as an individual and your life stage and recognizing that they'll change um, as, you know, as throughout the life span and throughout different phases and stages of your life. So, um, and being okay with that. So like what you eat in your twenties versus your fifties, what you eat when you're single versus when you have a family, what you eat when you are training for a marathon versus when you're like streaming a few workouts from your home each, you know, week, um, what you eat when you're working from home versus going into the office, like it's okay and it's normal and it should, your, your eating habits should fluctuate, you know, as your, as your life fluctuates. Um, I guess what I would like people to understand and what I always hope to empower my clients with is that nutrition, your food choices is really, it's like kind of what I said at the beginning, it is really something that we do have control over. It's a modifiable lifestyle factor that can have a profound impact on our health, our disease risk, our mood, our energy, our performance, our quality of life. It's really something that I, and I want people to feel empowered by that message rather than stressed out by it. Um, so to really know that this is how you feel your body, how you feed your body is really a powerful tool that you can take to to help live your, your optimal life. Um, but the flip side of that is that I always also want people to remember anything taken to an extreme that's healthy can no longer be healthy. You know, if we become too obsessed with it. Um, so that message that food is fuel that can be taken to the extreme to the point where we are denying ourselves the other roles that food definitely can and should play in our lives, which is being pleasure, which is being, you know, community, which is being religious or cultural or whatever. So, you know, kind of, again, it's, it is possible to find that balance between how to fuel your body for optimal health and how to also, you know, recognize the other roles that food plays in our lives. Um, which doesn't really lend itself to um, a restrictive diet. Um, and again, like what you said, when you find a, you know, a meal plan or some sort of diet with a set of rules online or in a book, really think about whether that is something that way of eating is something you can sustain long term and whether it really fits with the life you want to live. Most of the time it doesn't. And I never really ever advocate anyone doing anything short term that they couldn't do long term. Um, I think that tends to lead to like a, a cycle of dieting and kind of falling on and off different diets. It contributes to like black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, which really is, is pretty negative 
both mentally and physically. Um, and so whenever you're about to make a change or thinking about making a change to your nutrition, really think think hard about, is this something I can really commit to for the rest of my life? And if not, I, I would rethink it. I really would. That is cool. What a great way to distill what we should be thinking about, not just today, but for so many tomorrows from now. If we cannot give it thought and maybe commit to it in the long term, does it make sense in the short term? Alyssa, you are terrific. I will tell you, your decision to follow this path, not only seemingly incredibly enjoyable for you, a gift, a true blessing for so many others, including me. Thank you for your time this afternoon. We will certainly have you back on if you would be willing to do this again and perhaps be one of those resources that our audience can kind of count on and tune into from time to time. Absolutely. Honestly, I, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. My, my first foray into podcasting, I couldn't have asked for a better host. Um, I've been a fan of, of, yeah, Big Peach running for, for years. And yeah, this is, it's, it's really been my pleasure and my honor to be, to be on today. I hope those you listeners are feeling empowered and, and, and found something useful to take away. Well, you're an expert now. You're ready for any other podcast that comes your way. I can tell you that you are awesome. And certainly we know that this is one of those things that takes work. So we'll stay on it. But the first thing we'll do is we'll take a very brief break. We'll be back right after this. Shopping for a runner can be difficult, but Big Peach gift cards make it a whole lot easier. They're perfect for birthdays, holidays, or any occasion to show you support a healthy and active lifestyle. Gift cards are also perfect for the workplace as an incentive, reward, or thank you for a job well done. Big Peach Running Company gift cards are available at all seven locations and online at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast D2. I now have my smoothie next to me. I am not going to tell you something that's untrue. It is partially because of that conversation. Well, I mean, I feel good about it because I have a smoothie, I think, every day as well. I mean, it's just one of those things that I started doing a while back as a way of just getting more, you know, fruits. I mm. prefer fruits over vegetables, you know. Yep. So for me, smoothie is the best way to, for me to get fruits, especially after if I go out for a run or something that as a middle of the day, if I skip lunch, I'd rather do it with a fruit smoothie. Um, you know, that has some vegetables, has, you know, for me, I throw spinach, but primarily, you know, frozen you know, fruit just for the same reason. It's just, yep. it, you, it just stays better longer. Um, and I wasn't aware of, uh, the nutrients because of, of, uh, fruit being flash frozen and retains a lot of that. Um, so I was aware of that. So that was not new information, uh, for me. So that for me is something that I think I've done very well, but I'm still trying to incorporate more, uh, veggies into, you know, my meals as far as dinner, primarily dinner. Um, and, um, you know, just trying to eat healthier that way and being more, I won't say plant-based, but definitely a, a bit more of that than, than strictly a plant-based diet. So trying to eat healthier and just, you know, for longevity, right? For just everything else, for heart, for health, for fitness, for everything else that, that, you know, Alyssa mentioned. It is a series of daily choices in full transparency. For me, this smoothie is not new, but I will say that it was something that I might've missed today. A coworker of ours kind enough to bring me a scone. I fired up another coffee and had that with the scone. Those are the types of choices I also will occasionally make. But then after talking to Alyssa, I'm like, I'm not entirely shelving this smoothie, even if I'm not feeling like I need 
this particular boost, I'm going to put it in my body because she's convinced me it's the right thing to do. So good for me. If I had her on my shoulder all the time, I would imagine I'd make more healthy choices every single afternoon. But for the time being, that's an episode we'll listen to again and again and again. D2, at the beginning of today's episode, we talked a little bit about maybe that decreasing amount of optimism that we're going to see a slate of fall events of any kind. One of the announcements we've had to make recently for the first time ever in our involvement as title sponsor, Big Peach Sizzler, not happening the way it has happened in the past. There will no not be a physical start line. And my goodness, that is unfortunate. But those who are the race directors, the beneficiary, Miles for Cystic Fibrosis, what a creative group they are because the Sizzlin' 65 Challenge, it happens now. It is that able-bodied substitute for Big Peach Sizzler. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things I think all of us as runners are disappointed that races have been canceled and that we are not, we don't have those goals that we typically would be training for. So, um, you know, races have gotten creative and Sizzler um, for uh, Moscow Cystic Fibrosis have, have gotten creative with that. And they've come up with the Sizzling 65, you know, challenge. And it's a 65 mile challenge that takes place between September 7th and October 12th. And, you know, one of the things that I learned is like, why 65? Why, you know, why 65 roses? And, you know, this is, I remember from a podcast we had mm -hmm. Becky Pendle where yep. the kids couldn't say miles for cystic fibrosis. So they said, you know, um, you know, 65 miles or mile uh, 65 roses is what they would say yep. right so, miles so, for 65 roses 65 roses so that's kind of what they're known for so that's where the 65 comes into it and i guess coincidentally enough the 285 measures 65 miles so virtually you would be kind of running you know on 285 through these 65 miles and that's the challenge that you would be able to run and i think it's like maybe a little under two miles a day if you were running every day but you have that time to accumulate 65 miles and there's ways that there's a tracker that will virtually track you along 285 with a couple of things that'll you know pop up as you reach those mile markers um so that's kind of a unique and interesting uh you know way of doing it and you can run anywhere in the you know in your neighborhood in your city but just because it's, you know, 285, do not go out onto 285 and run on 285. <laughs> that is not the suggested course. That is an opportunity for you to get a sense of how far you've traveled visually, perhaps mentally, maybe even emotionally. But my goodness, do not do it specifically. Exactly. We f I feel like we have to have that disclaimer there for legal purposes, right? <laughs> nice. We are covered. For those who are like, man, I wonder what the actual distance is. How about this? We bring you nothing but the most important information on the Run ATL podcast it is 63.98 miles in its entirety in terms of i-285 encircling the great city of atlanta that's the kind of information they depend on us for d2 well that's awesome so yes yeah, so you know registration is now open um so sign up for that that you will there will be prizes and other things that will um you'll earn there's uh, obviously finisher medals and shirts um so there's things that our vendors and sponsors are all associated with will be providing as you kind of accumulate you know mileage and raffles and, and all that so unfortunately we can't do you know big peach sizzler like we have done in the past on Labor Day, this sort of kind of, you know, starts that Labor Day weekend 
end on September 7th and extends that event out through October. So it gives you a little bit more time and something that if you're not comfortable running, you know, you know, 10K, you can run something much shorter, but do it over a series of days. And it's a challenge to maybe kind of keep you active through that time period. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 1.8 miles as the average every single day. I'm going to put you on the hot spot. I know how much you love that. As we go to our closing music, remind everybody to come back in two weeks. Here is a trivia question starting with you. Everybody else, you can play along as well. When was I-285 ultimately designated as an interstate and finished here in our great city. Oh, you put me on the spot. I have no idea. I know that I was not living here at the time. So my guess, it'll probably be, uh, I'd say somewhere mid-80s. Let's say 1985. So I do put you on the spot. I kind of apologize for that. Your logic is solid in terms of, okay, it was before when you got here in full transparency. I didn't know the answer until looking the distance up. And this was a bonus for me on my laptop screen. It says it was 1963. So all of you, whether native or new to Atlanta, there's information you wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. 63.98 miles around originally released as an interstate in 1963. There you have it. More information in the next episode for sure. We'll look forward to seeing you here in just two weeks. In the meantime, like we always say, as we certainly mean, may your best miles be those covered on foot. So long, everybody.